Today on Casa de Confidence, we have Mark Hirschberg, author of The Career Toolkit and creator of the Career Toolkit app. Networking, negotiating, communicating, leading, career planning. Did anyone teach these skills to you? Well, whether you're a young professional or a seasoned pro looking to level up, you're not going to want to miss this one. Welcome to Casa de Confidence, a podcast for women and some cool dudes going in the direction of their dreams and the confidence it takes to reach them. I'm your host, Julie DeLuca Collins, and your sidekick, handsome hot husband, that again. I am a dreamer, a traveler, a visionary, and risk taker. I am a lover of books, activist, philanthropist, and most of all, we are supporter of people and their dreams. If you stumble into the casa for the first time, welcome. If you've been here before, we're so glad you're back. Grab your drink of choice, settle in, and make yourself at home. All right, we're coming here with a lot of energy today. This is Dan, and this is... Julie. (laughs) Where's your energy? (laughs) This is my energy. This is your energy? (laughs) This is the energy you get. Hey, by the way, I can actually take a breath. Not a very deep one, Mm -hmm. but a breath without coughing. Very good, Julie. So, Julie Julie is... uh, Recovered from her COVID, but I wouldn't but, say recovered. well from the COVID. But as with uh, any cold or any any flu or cold, any cough that Julie gets, the cough, the voice problem sticks with her for months. So well, she's right now. It's an autoimmune. She's. Re- it's really easy to talk over her and get my way right now. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> Excuse me, by the way. Anyway, Julie. Hey, what are you drinking? I'm drinking coffee. Me too. Mm -hmm. And it is a pleasure to be at the headquarters of Cause of the Confidence. She is in the headquarters. Sitting next to you. Well, not exactly next to me. because as close as we are going to get for a while. Cooties. (laughs) That's funny. So we watched a movie yesterday. Right? What was the movie we watched? We watched a lot of movies yesterday. Well, what was the one we watched? It reminded me of childhood. Reminds That's why I said cooties. Oh, I can't Is it Ferris Bueller? Oh, yes, Ferris Bueller. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I haven't seen Ferris Bueller in such a long time. And you know how your mind plays... You know, Okay. Full disclosure. The older you get... The more your mind tricks you as far as time and how you perceive time. And I'm thinking, oh, Ferris Bueller, that was so old. I mean, that was so long ago. And I'm like, 1985, oh my gosh, that's when I was a kid. And then I'm like, wait a minute, 1985? Yeah, I was a kid, but I was in high school. It feels like I was like in sixth grade or something like that. It was like 1986. That was 19... Well, it came out in 86, actually, I think. Listen, but, I, I picked yeah. some very good movies yesterday. But Ferris I Bueller. will say, was, I am so yeah. done with television. I like. I, I think my brain is running away. Wait, wait a minute. We, we have this thing. What? I just have to say Ferris Bueller. 
Mm-hmm. Bueller. <laughs> he wasn't a nice kid. He wasn't a kid. I loved him. Oh, my I still God. Do. He took advantage of his friend in so many ways. Oh, my God. Of course. You would be the Cameron, and I would be the Bueller. I am the Cameron. I am the Cameron. I am not as, you know, I wasn't a, um, you know, germaphobe or whatever. He was a hypochondriac in the beating beating of the movie. He was fearful. But he was fearful, yes. And and the thing is, I mean, Bueller Bueller had to... (laughs) Ferris helped him encounter his fears. He helped him come out of his shell. Not come out of his shell. I think that he really Mm. made him realize, and this is such a great lesson for today, Mm -hmm. our brain is going to paralyze us with fear because that's how the brain is doing its job. True. And when we are so, you know, stuck in the fear of the what if, and we don't take a step forward, we can potentially miss out on the things that are meant for us and also, we we feel like we could never be or do, um, and, and we are so apprehensive of the outcome. But ultimately, you know, fear is something that we all need to um, continue to work through. And hopefully you have a Ferris Bueller in your life to help you with it. Well, this is the thing. Sometimes you have to be your own Ferris Bueller, too. And I this agree. Is, this, is what I'm, this is what I'm saying here. Like, I was the good kid. And when I stepped out and did something mischievous or bad, I always got in trouble for it. it I was like Ferris Bueller's sister, too. I'm the one that got in trouble. But it, this is the thing. The, the, Ferris, the Ferris Bueller's in my life that were always uh, doing things that should have been. I was like, oh, he's going to get in trouble for that. Never did. And, and I, I guess I kind of admire that. But... That that kind of built the fear in me, so I didn't take a lot of chances. So every mm. time I took a chance, I'd get in trouble because I didn't know how to take the chance. Apparently, and be, well, like, oh, look at the nervous kid over there. He must be doing something suspicious. But here's the and thing: then, oh. were you when you got in trouble? Mm-hmm. How did you how did you face the trouble? I took my trouble and paid the price. I don't know because I think that for me, I mean, I. Not saying I was a bad kid. Let's suffice it to say that my senior year, I probably did not go to every single class. Listen, I, I I was social. I had other things I was involved with, and I was able to acquire permission you, passes. That's true. You also had an open campus. I did not. Anyway, yeah, but that didn't anyway, mean that you I weren't digress. skipping. I digress enough. Anyhow, enough. You, we just need you need. Take take chances. You know, no matter how you've been here, if you reflect on your life and go back to your life and and see how if you've been careful for five years, ten years, forty years, fifty years, never taking the chance to do something that would bring you and others joy. I challenge you this week, this month, this year, go do it. Well go you know, Bueller the heck out of life. Perfect. By right. the way, tomorrow you know, I had to I had to punt this to this week because I couldn't do it last week. But tomorrow, the if you're listening on the eleventh, um, it is the first of three days where I am doing the simple habits challenge. So, All right. Cool. 
And you know why? Why is that? Because as we're, <laughs> as we're wrapping up the year, this is when a lot of people start thinking, oh, where did the year go? And, you know, we start to think about, like, what goals did I want to accomplish and did not or did. But the reality is that goals don't happen unless you learn to prioritize, mm -hmm. unless you learn to create simple habits to support your priorities mm -hmm. and then break down your goals into manageable, attainable steps that create momentum for yourself. Cool. So, yeah. And by the way, I have to say, I've also been feeling a little jelly. Jelly jelly? Yeah. Of what? Well, this is the first time that there has been a full-fledged, no BS woman retreat, transformation weekend, and I am not there. <laughs> you really want to go on another retreat at this point? Listen, I am so happy to be in the office looking <laughs> at a different environment from the four walls upstairs. Do not, do not get me wrong. The retreat you went on was, it sounds like it was incredible. Oh, some amazing just, women were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, just a, this is just a thing. It was a great experience, though, right? It sure was. Yeah. It was amazing, and I love the incredible, amazing women who I got to spend my time with. Which, Sweet. by the way, I cannot believe that what? I drove home feeling as I did. Yeah, I know. Do you do you know that I almost, I actually was finding Avis um, areas to, because um, you had a Avis rental car, and I was looking at where you were in the map and looking for Avis places so I could go get you, drop the car off and get you home. Well, that would have been very nice, but I wouldn't have let but you I, do that. But I then would have... Had COVID also, probably. Yeah. <coughs> but, um, yeah. Look. Because you we didn't know at that point that you were. No. And, and, you know, the, the, the original plan was that I was going to go see my mom. And thank God I listened to my intuition. And thank God I thought to myself, right. no, I'm not going to do it. Do and, the right thing, baby. You know, it, I, I, I cannot believe. So I left Tennessee and. An hour outside of tennis, outside of where I had left from, I had to stop at a rest stop and take a nap. I don't want to cut you off. Well, yeah, I do want to cut you off because I know you got a little pep in your step right now, but we need to save your voice because you have clients to speak to Ooh. this week and all this stuff. You so need excited. your communication. <laughs> oh, it's crap. Than I'm typing. doing a thing on Tuesday. Oh, my gosh. So. <gasps> See what you're doing here? Yes. Let's talk about our guest, Mark. Mark is probably <laughs> one of my favorite guests that I've had in the podcast in a long time. And I know I say this a lot, but, you know, listening to the conversation again, mm -hmm. he's brilliant. And he has such an easy way about him. I really love talking to him about um, ballroom dancing. Hey, did you know that I took <laughs> ballroom dancing in my 20s? Yes. I loved it. Oh, sorry. Yes, I did know that. Oh, Jesus. Sorry. And that was the that was the reply of a husband who's heard the story more than five, seven times. Wow. <laughs> well, oh, that was for the listeners. Yeah, that was oh, for I the was supposed to play along. Dan. Um, and you know, I, I'm really intrigued yes. by someone that has so many different dimensions, like Mark does. Mm -hmm. um, I think that on paper, people, and this happens a lot. I think that on paper, we get a perception of somebody, but you know, 
have the opportunity to dig a little deeper in people who are maybe a little different from you and you will find a wealth of just character, experiences, perspective that can really enrich your life. And Mark is one of these amazing individuals. I hope you check him out. His book is phenomenal and I can't wait until he releases the app for other authors like me. Um, so what I really like about Mark is he, he tackles the things that uh, a lot of times our educational system neglects. There's a couple things that that our educational system neglects. And, and one thing that I contend that our system, and this has nothing to do with uh, Mark, uh, one thing that our educational system forgets is to teach us finances. And finances, how to handle your finances, how to how to know what compounding interest does for you, how to invest for your future, invest for your retirement. And that's all important. But the other thing that I think that is forgotten in our education system is how to be a productive member of a business that you're part of, a business that you're starting, um, a business, uh, how to be a good employee, how to be a great boss, how to be a successful entrepreneur. Team member. Yes. So a team member, any part of that. Um, so I said at the beginning, networking, negotiating, communicating, leading, career planning, all of these skills, these are, these are basic soft skills. And uh, I know I know uh, <laughs> little little sciencey words here, and I know uh, that Mark used them. He, you got to know how to speak to certain people, and a person like Mark, person like uh, myself. We, uh, I mean, I work for a tech company, uh, work for an aerospace company, and our data depends on quantitative data. The quantitative data is data based on numbers, right? Then there's other data. It's qualitative. This is data based on a on a thing or a person's qualities. It's qualitative. So these soft skills, qualitative skills, like network, negotiating, communicating, leading, career planning. This is all stuff that it's hard to teach. It's hard to learn, especially at an early age. Some people aren't ready to know those skills. You know, mm. they can be taught those skills. And I mean, we, we talk, we talk, we've talked in the other episodes about how the human brain isn't fully developed till the mid twenties. And you may have, you know, you may, maybe you studied this a little bit back when you're 19, but your brain wasn't ready for it. You weren't <laughs> ready for it. So Mark supplies this education at all those stages in college at MIT. He did it at Harvard. Mm. He did it. You know, now he's doing it in corporations. And whether you're starting in, whether you're in college, getting ready to go to college, early in your career, late in your career, maybe you're late in your career and you never knew about some of this stuff. And this is just great stuff to know. And we all should know it early on. Absolutely. And, you know, the other thing, too, that I love about one of the things that uh, Mark really reiterated for me is that being able to understand um, how to communicate to the people around you, right? So he talks about how he's not a morning person. 
And if you want to run something by him, you you should do it in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And I think that whether that's your spouse or someone that you work with or a colleague, it's important to understand um, their preferred mode of communication. Yeah. yeah, and that's why a lot of companies do personality tests. You Ooh. go, you go. Oh, why do we got to do this? Mm-hmm. Well, so I know a little bit more about you. So I know I'm not going to piss you off at 8 a.m. with a brilliant idea that you would be happy to receive at 3 p.m. Well, you know? now you're opening up a whole new different door because although I believe in personality tests, mm-hmm. personality is not permanent. And it's a matter of, I yeah, I, I know you that. know, being able to manage your mind and understand your thoughts and how to be able to do that. However... I started to think of something else to say, um, and now I'm all discombobulated because mm. this is that brain frog fog. Well, maybe we should wrap this up and let you in, Mark, you know, tell the story in your interview. Oh, yeah. Here's what I'm going to say. Stay tuned in this interview because Mark also is someone who um, probably um, was instrumental or with his type of work, the type of work that Mark has done has also been instrumental in keeping you safe online. So stay oh, tuned yes. to find out how he has done that or how he has been related to that field. So without further ado, our guest. Mark Hirschberg. Welcome, everybody. This is Julie. I'm so happy that you're joining us again. I have a special guest today, Mark Hirschberg. I'm going to make him introduce himself as it is the norm here in Casa de Confidence because I could never do it justice, right? So, Mark, welcome and tell us about you. Thanks for having me on the show. So, I have a dual career. My primary career, I came out of MIT back in the 90s. I started as a software developer. I realized early on that I wanted to become a CTO, a chief technology officer. But the skills needed to qualify for that job and be successful were skills like leadership, communication, having a strong network, knowing how to negotiate, build teams. I was never taught any of that. (laughs) So I had to develop these skills in myself. I quickly realized these skills are not just for executives. They're really for everyone on Mm. the team. So I wanted to train up people on my team because other people weren't coming to the office with these skills either. They hadn't been taught in school. So I developed some training programs. And around the same time, MIT had gotten similar feedback. MIT had done surveys and similar surveys have been done at other schools where companies are saying, these are the skills we want to see. Again, leadership, communication, networking, negotiations, but we're not finding it. Mm -hmm. And this, by the way, isn't just for new college grads. This is universal. So at MIT, we created a program called the Career Success Accelerator, where I've helped develop it. I've been teaching for the past 20 years. (laughs) So I've had my primary job building tech startups and helping Fortune 500s play startup but then also teaching on the side at MIT and elsewhere. And then throughout my life, I've done another of other interesting things. I was a former U.S. ballroom champion. I, I have multiple patents, <laughs> developed an app, um, used to track terrorists and cyber criminals online. So a bunch of other interesting uh, activities throughout. But my main things are building tech startups and helping people with their professional efficacy. You know, I hear your background. I of course, you know, saw that you were a ballroom champion. I saw that you help 
with this whole cyber criminals and the things that you have done in that arena. You're an author. I see the book behind you, the career toolkit. And I can't help but to think, wow, this guy has it together. He has done so many great things. But at the end of the day, are there moments for you personally that maybe you don't feel like, oh my gosh, who is that guy that's accomplished all those things? All the time. (laughs) And I'll tell you, I realized this very early on. There was a couple that I was friends with and they were a wedding cake couple. You just looked at them and said, they're, they're good looking and outgoing and friendly. And wow, I'm kind of jealous. I wish I could be them. And then when they were having some troubles, uh, the guy confided in me and we started talking mm-hmm. about it. And from the outside, it looked so great, but it wasn't as calm under the surface. We just didn't see it because when we talked to them at a, at a bar, at an event, it's not as though they were actively fighting. Certainly mm-hmm. some couples used to do that. And I began to realize that what things appear, what things look like on the outside aren't how they are inside. I can tell you what software companies I've gone to, you look at the marketing, they look, oh, wow, this is fabulous and growing. And then you go inside, like, this is chaos and disorganized and <laughs> held together by duct tape. Even my own life, okay, I've accomplished a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. And some of that has been active focus. But there are other areas, I can tell you in my personal life, I am still single and that has been a challenge for me. Okay. For all I have accomplished without having a family, without getting married and having kids, I'm going to feel like a complete failure. And despite all the effort and all the accomplishment in these other areas, it has not helped me in the area that matters most to me. And I think all of us have things where... (laughs) We can do it and have success, but other areas where we struggle. And that is totally normal Mm. to feel that way and to have these challenges. Mark, I love that you're normalizing that, that, you know, there are all of these areas for us in life. And that just because you're seeing someone, like like you said, your friend, the wedding cake couple, and I love that analogy so good. I'm going to have to borrow it. It. It is, it does happen. And I think that in our world, we go about life thinking, oh, I wish I just had what that person has. And I think that from the outside too, you may, you, you may seem like, oh my gosh, what, what does he have? That's no care in the world. But you alluded that definitely that part of not having a family, um, is something that you wish also you, you can have. And, you know, I, I'm going to refrain from coaching because, you know, I, I tend to go into my coaching hat and I'm not going to. This is just a fun conversation. Um, so thank you for sharing that. I want to know what makes you go in all the different directions? Because as I look at everything that you're doing, there are things that can align, of course, uh, writing a book, be you know, being a professor, but then you have the ballroom dancing and then you have some of the other stuff that you talked about. How do you marry that? And, and, and how do, what keeps you going in these different directions? Sometimes they're natural fits. So most people say, oh, this work you down the dark web chasing terrorists mm-hmm. and cyber criminals. Well, that's actually not as far a leap as it might sound. It's certainly not normal for most of us. Right. My graduate work at MIT was in cryptography. Okay. And cryptography, that's the branch of computer science and mathematics that does secret codes. Mm-hmm. When you enter your credit card online and you say, oh, I know it's safe, it's encrypted, 
that's because of people from my community who created all these protocols to keep you safe. Well, thank you. Another side of that, (laughs) it's those protocols I personally didn't create. Other one of them came from my graduate advisor, actually. But we both secure data. We also try to do some offensive work. So Mm. the CIA, for example, is trying to steal data from certain groups that we consider threats by breaking in and we give them techniques as well. So we use some of these techniques to proactively try and figure out what are the bad guys doing? Mm-hmm. I would liken it to, we were the undercover agents, but we're just doing it virtually. We're not actually going into That's the criminal cool. underworld or hanging out with them online. So that was a, a kind of natural outgrowth. Mm-hmm. Other things I've learned. I remember when I was younger and I'd hear these professors, there was one who he was head of a department He had written multiple books. He had founded a company. He was helping out with this class that I was involved in. Wow, he's doing all these things. Well, when you get to a certain level, you can leverage different things. This guy who founded this company, he was a founder. He might have even had the CEO title, Mm -hmm. but he wasn't putting in the 50, 60 hours a week that most founder CEOs put in. At this point, he had he may have early on, maybe <laughs> took a sabbatical and started it, but then he could use other resources that right. he would have, right? And those resources would be from executive assistants to mm-hmm. a chief operating officer to other people can help run it. When you would uh, write a book, I know a lot of a lot of professors who their book it's a lot of work comes from their grad students, mm-hmm. right? Who have contributed or have been a reviewer or do this work. Now, that might be part of their thesis and graduate <laughs> work, or maybe not. Right. One thing I've benefited from to do the things I've done, when it came time to do this book, I fortunately have built a wonderful network over the years, and I was able to leverage that network and mm. open doors and get things done that were perhaps easier for me today because of work that I did years ago and certain advantages I had. In fact, even the fact that I have this track down terrorists and cyber criminals, I know that's gotten me on shows. It has nothing to do with the book or what we talk about. But some people say, well, this is just an interesting guy or the ballroom dancing, right? How many people do you have come on who have that background? I I wanted to talk to you about the ballroom dancing for sure. And and not to say and minimize your other accomplishments, because I certainly loved and I'm intrigued by so much of it. Um, and I want to unpack a lot of it. But certainly, uh, yeah, thank you for sharing that because I, I love hearing that, uh, you know, it has definitely opened doors for you. Yeah, all of this. And so every one of us, no matter where you are, you can start by saying, what can I do and achieve mm-hmm. today, today, mm-hmm. this week, this month? Maybe it's not writing a book. Maybe it's not becoming a ballroom champion, but it's doing something. And actually, let's use ballroom as an example. Okay. So ballroom dancing, you know, it, it looks great. I start out by taking the weekly ballroom classes, the MIT Ballroom Club. There are okay. classes every Sunday. So I'd go and take the class and you'd learn it. And you learn the class. There'd be three levels. So <laughs> each week you did level one this week, level two the next, level three of the next one. Then you'd probably forget it because you're not really practicing it. <laughs> so, okay, it was nice to learn it. And maybe I could remember one or two steps. When I joined the MIT Ballroom Dance team, one of the things they said is, hey, you know, when you start here within a semester, you're going to look spectacular. And it was true. With just one semester where we would go twice a week to classes, Mm -hmm. 
And we would practice. We'd spend an hour or two practicing, learning the steps, drilling the steps, practicing. <laughs> and it was fun. We enjoyed doing it. Right. Then when we went to the social dances of the MIT club, we looked amazing. I bet. Because most people are putting in almost no work. And yeah. that's fine. They don't have to. But for most of us, if you just do a little bit of effort <laughs> into an area, you're going to stand out compared to most people who just maybe dabble in that area and said, oh, I took a ballroom class for my wedding and that was it. I totally so agree with you. I actually took that. ballroom dancing and I know the intricacies and um, I was, I loved it. And I really, I, I used to show up two, three times a week and it, it made a difference. But of course, as with anything, I haven't ballroom danced in a mm, good 20 years. So if you took me out dancing, Mark, I, I don't think I would do very well. <laughs> it, it will eventually come back like riding a bike, hopefully. But the point is, all of us in our area, you don't have to go and say, I want to be the ballroom champion. Mm. And you could, I'm going to take classes for two or three months and suddenly you look really good. Yeah. And so in all of our areas, whether it's creating a podcast, so many podcasters it's funny, over the pandemic, so many people started podcasting and gave up after about four or five episodes. Because yep. they said, oh, it's not just I record and click publish. Right. You might have to edit. You have to find good guests. You have to promote it. And most people aren't willing to do that work. There's no great <laughs> secret. It's putting in the work. So if whatever area you want to improve in, you just do a little work, within weeks to months, you can already start to stand out. And other parts of your life might still be a little messy or problematic, but you're going to make headway. I, you know, there's one thing that I tell my clients, and, and I think that this is really aligned with what you're saying. Consistent action gets you traction. And sometimes we set out and we have these big goals, right? Like with someone starting a podcast, they, they're like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to do that. But it really is you have to be able to break down the goal and then try to figure out what are the th things that you need to be working on every day. Um, if I'm going to put out a podcast on Sunday, then I typically do some research. I do some writing for the newsletter that goes out. I do some of the social media. And and and, and now I'm going to be honest. And I started doing this months ago, and this is part of the success. And you also alluded to this. I have an assistant. I also have my husband who does the production. Um, I am a big proponent of do what you do best. And delegate the rest. And I think that in successful um, people, you will find that they do the work and they, you know, for me, it's important to be able to learn it and know it just so that I know it. But if that's something that is going to take me two hours where I can outsource or delegate to somebody and that person can do it better and they enjoy it and it will help me um, open up space to maybe work with a client or do something else, then why not? And I think that that CEO and that professor, the people that you know, and I'm sure you do this as well, that you leverage the resources that you have. A hundred percent. The app that I built that goes with my book, mm -hmm. technically I could code it. I haven't really my coding experience wasn't building apps, but I could figure it out. Mm -hmm. But I'm pretty rusty on coding. And to spend the time, it's a lot of work in an area where I'm not going to get great returns. Instead, I can spend my work doing my regular job where I make enough money that I can then spend 
and hire someone for mm. a lower rate yeah. to build the app. So instead of spending, let's say, 50 hours building the app, mm-hmm. I spend 50 hours consulting or working and take some of that money to get someone else to build the app. Yep. And this, by the way, this is what humans have done for thousands of years. <laughs> if you think about it, we began where we all used to grow our own food and make our own houses. Mm-hmm. We eventually said, I don't grow my own food because there's a farmer who can do it faster, better, and cheaper. Oh, and sure. I just go buy it. And that's what we all do. And we will continue to do that in our lives. It's just now for the first time we've moved from that 50s view of you ran your own household mm-hmm. and probably mom would cook and clean and dad would make the money to you can hire people to do these things for you, whether it's planning your vacation, if you don't mm-hmm. have time to do that, or cleaning your house or organizing your life online. This is now accessible to all of us. Yeah, I, I mention that example a lot on the podcast. For me, um, you know, it is a privilege and I work hard to be able to hire someone to come and help us in the home. And it's not because I I I like my towels folded a certain way. I like things done um, my way a lot of times, but sometimes again, it facilitates and it creates the margin for me rather than on the weekends, you know, we're spending time cleaning, um, which I like to have a tidy house, but then I, I can spend time with my husband and we do something that we both enjoy. Um, so yeah, it facilitates that, you know, you mentioned the app. Um, tell me a little bit more about this app. So your book, the career toolkit, um, tell us what the book is about and how people can use the app to go along with that. The book is broken down into three sections with 10 mm-hmm. chapters. Okay. Again, this covers the skills are most in demand by employers. So let me quickly run through a 10 chapters okay. and we'll talk about the app. Section one careers. Chapter one is how to create and execute on a career plan. So if mm-hmm. there is some place you want to go, some job you want to get, even a company you want to build, how do you figure out what are the skills you need to do it and then create a plan to develop those skills and get you into that role? Chapter two, working effectively, how to manage your manager, understanding office politics, office culture. Oh, so good. Chapter three, interviewing. Now there's lots of content on how to be a candidate. So I focus more on how to hire other people. So many of us in offices were thrown into, oh, interview this candidate no one ever taught us how to interview someone. Mm, You just said, well, you've been on the other side, figure it out. Second section is on leadership and management. So I break down the essence of leadership skills and then management look at both the people part of it and the process Mm -hmm. part. And even if you say, I don't want to be a leader, I don't want to be a manager, I want to be an individual contributor, these are skills we can all apply because when you're working with a coworker or a client, you're managing that person. It might not be do what I say because I'm the boss, but it's okay. How do I convince you that I want you to work on this part of the project or do this? We use management leadership skills. Then the third section, interpersonal dynamics, communication, networking, negotiation, and ethics. Fundamental skills that underlie how we engage with other people. I, I'm, you're speaking my language. I'm actually doing a presentation uh, for uh, and I don't know if I mentioned this to you when we first spoke, but I'm doing a presentation on Wednesday next week for a large uh, Fortune 50 company here in the Hartford, Connecticut area. And one of the things that they want me to talk about to over a thousand of their young um, young professionals is how to forge connections in a virtual world. And one of the things that I'm talking a little bit about is trust 
and how and and I'm going to simplify the concept because obviously I don't want to go into too much of it here in the podcast but um we have that emotional trust that we build with individuals when we're in an office setting, when we see each other every day, when we can talk to someone, but there's also that cognitive trust. And right now, um, many of us being remote have a difficult time making that, that emotional trust with someone. So how can we start to build and create some of the things that we, um, can serve as in a team? And also I, I think that the other piece that, um, offices and companies are missing is that you have to really go back and revisit your rules of engagement. When we were in an office present together, I think that all of us knew what was expected of us, who had what role and what we were meant to do and what the goals were. But as things shift online, I think that a lot of that also has to be revisited to make sure that we fully understand what our expectations and the goals and the direction that we're moving in. And that's where people haven't been doing that. And then there's disconnect and, of course, the the things that come from it. Um, but I love the conversation of managing up. I did a room in Clubhouse on managing up as you're building your career. Tell For the people who may not be familiar with this, um, you know, how, how, what is one takeaway that people can implement in their lives when you're managing up, for instance, um, a boss or someone, a colleague or a customer? When you think about this other person, understand their style, understand how this person engages. And throughout the book, I give different examples, Mm -hmm. but here's a, a simple one for someone like me. I am not a morning person. I am very much a night person. If you want to pitch me a big idea, catching me right as I come in at nine in the morning, yes. no, wrong time. Um, right? I'm barely awake. I'm, I'm probably <laughs> on, oh, I just, all right, let me check my emails and kind of figure out what's happening today. Catch me in the afternoon. Now, I'm not saying just because you came at 9 a.m., I'm going to say no, but it's almost catching me in the right mood, right? <laughs> it's not as extreme as that, but recognizing does your manager prefer you know, morning or afternoon? When you pitch an idea, does your manager want it to be in person or should you send an email or do you maybe even create a formal report? Maybe you write mm-hmm. up a Word document and attach it to the email as separate from just putting all that content in the email. Your boss may have a certain preference for how she or he prefers to get this and get pitched in a certain way. We talk about communication styles. Mm -hmm. I'm a numbers guy. My background, STEM, degrees in physics, computer Mm -hmm. science. Anything you're going to pitch me, I'm going to want to see some type of quantitative analysis, whether it's financial or time, a plan, some numbers around it. Mm -hmm. Other people, we've all met these people. I'm not a numbers person. I don't want to get in the details. Give me the big idea. And you want to sell this person emotionally. So understanding this about your client, about your coworker, about your boss is going to help you engage this person on a much more effective level. You know, I I totally see how this book is something that people really need to, um, you know, get honestly. And I I love that you have the app, but I also love that you're teaching concepts that are not only in a career, but can really apply if you have a business. Because I think that a lot of business owners too struggle when they have a potential client and they realize that maybe the client doesn't move forward with them. But I think it's because you don't understand that it's listening, trying to understand where the person is coming from and how to be able to pitch them because you can't pitch people in the same way. You have to really be able to 
um, appeal to them in the way that they understand and they, they, they see that you have the solution, right? The only difference between a client and a coworker is just about how the money flows. Mm. If it's your coworker, you don't worry about the money and from someone above is just handing out checks. If it's a client, this is still your coworker mm-hmm. in some sense. You're just getting paid by different people. It's a different money flow. But many of the same rules apply. How we want to communicate with this person, <laughs> how we engage, how we work together, these management leadership techniques, they all apply just in perhaps slightly different ways. That's so good. So now let's go back to the app. How does the app interact with the book? One challenge with a lot of business books, and I'd even say self-help books in general, you read the book, you say, wow, great idea. And then you forget a few weeks Mm. later, the next book, you're busy with family, job. And one thing we know is that spaced repetition is a great way to learn something. This is a (laughs) well-proven technique. So I want to set out a way to encourage that. Now, spaced repetition, it's a fancy name for what most of us know as flashcards. Yep. You're not going to go reread it. So, okay, well, flashcards. There's a bunch of flashcard apps, but let's face it. No one wants to create flashcards or open the app with flashcards. We need to create something that's even easier. So we created this app. It takes a lot of the content from the book. If you went through the book with mm-hmm. a highlighter. Okay. And that content, each day it's going to pop up on your phone as a notification. Just a little reminder, you can set it whatever time you want. Maybe you're a morning person. You set at 9 Mm a.m. If you're like me, it'll be midday or afternoon. And there it is, and it pops back up. And what you read the day before, the week before, the month before comes back up and reinforces in your mind to help keep it top of mind, to help reinforce that learning. You can then just swipe it away or you can click in and go into the app. Mm -hmm. The other way you can use the app is if you are, say, about to go into a negotiation with a client or even a coworker, you're not going to reread my book. I know that. You can basically have the book in your pocket. You pull the app, mm. open it up, go to the negotiation section, and flip through those tips to get a refresher on what you had read. So the app is completely oh free, available on Android and iPhone stores. And you can just download and start using it today. Okay. I'm going to download the app, but I'm also going to read the book. I am a reader and, and I've gone through the process of writing a book. This is so brilliant. And, you know, for me, the one thing that I did is I actually just created a companion uh, questions that people had to fill out. But I, I know that a lot of times I get books and there's questions in there and I'm like, oh, I'll get to them and I don't. But I love the accessibility of having something just pop up and remind you and really be in your in your pocket when you need it. So brilliant. Congratulations on that. That's awesome. Thank you. There's plenty of questions in the book. There are downloads on the website <laughs> to help take you through it. But we all know we're busy. And so the mm. key was making something that was no effort. You don't even have to open the app to use it. And later this year, hopefully we'll get out the general version so other authors can do this with their books. Well, keep me in mind for that. I love that idea. Um, Mark, another question for you, because I know that um, I have a girlfriend. Her son is starting to look at colleges. And I know the process. I don't have children, but I worked in the education world for many years. So I know the process. Um, But as I'm watching him go through, um, he has a lot of really big goals for himself. And one of the things that he is starting to try to figure out is what is the right fit? Did you know MIT was going to be the right fit for you? I did. (laughs) I was pretty sure. I think I wanted to go to Harvard when I was five because I heard it was 
the best school. Princeton when I was nine, because I heard Einstein was in Princeton, although he was actually at the Institute for Advanced Studies in the town of Princeton, not the university. And then I heard about MIT's hacks. These were the pranks that they would pull on themselves and <laughs> their schools at 12. And that's why I said MIT. Okay. And really, for a nerd like me, MIT was Mecca. Uh, that was just a place where I really felt like I fit in. But okay. it's going to be different for everyone. This is something very important mm-hmm. to talk about with your son or daughter, is to ask, what does matter? Now, there mm-hmm. are the obvious things like urban environment or rural. Right. You want big or small type of engagement, even just the, the feel knowing things that are, those are all kind of pretty explicit. Other things like, do most people live on campus or are they in the Greek system? Do parties, did the weekend partying (laughs) start Wednesday or does that start Friday? Because I had friends at, I'll just say an (laughs) Ivy League where the weekend started Wednesday night. That's not how it was at MIT. (laughs) I bet. (laughs) Knowing what the alumni group is like, do they have a strong alumni association (laughs) or not? Because that's going to be valuable longer term. What type of access, whether it's to physical resources or the professors, what that's going to be like. So these are all things you want to think about. And what I'd recommend is you probably have access to slightly older students, students mm-hmm. who are now in college or just out. Ask them, what did you like or not like about your university? Mm. What do you wish you knew when you were picking your college? What surprised you? What are things that maybe I should consider, especially now as we're going through this COVID period, there's probably new stuff we're not as experienced thinking through. So ask people have been down that path, not because what married to them matters to you, but because that question, Mm. what matters to them answers a question. And you want to think about what is that question and what is your answer? You know, these are great tips. And I think that they definitely make you think a lot of that. Um, For you again, choosing MIT at a young age, and here you are still. um, I wonder was there anyone particularly in your life that inspired you to pursue the path that you're on today? And did you foresee being here? Well, some of the path, certainly my parents, Mm -hmm. my father is a, is a doctor. My mother has her graduate degree in early childhood education. So learning was always very important in my family. They instilled that in me. And that just led to who I am as a naturally curious person, Mm -hmm. as someone who strives to achieve academically and just work hard in general. So all that comes from my parents. Mm -hmm. In terms of the particular path, getting into computer science and doing tech startups, not not very surprising. If you (laughs) if you look at who I was in the in the 80s as a kid and you think we didn't have tech startups then, but you kind of look and say, yep, odds are. This is where he's going to wind up. Mm-hmm. But this other second path of mine, doing this professional efficacy, doing mm-hmm. this teaching education, that was completely surprising. Okay. And I never would have predicted for myself. I don't think anyone else would have either. In fact, I was terrible at these skills before I began learning them. I was not just not good. I was actively bad at them. I, I think that sometimes when we are terrible or bad at certain skills, but we go back to that consistency that we talked about and we really practice. And I think that there's got to be a willingness to be really bad at something. Um, I was actually just speaking to someone about um, an experience. I, in my twenties, I actually went, and I think I've told the story in the podcast, but I went to a yoga class. I, I wanted to check it out. And 
it was awful. And I thought, I'm never going to do that. It's not for me. And I really got in my own way. I, I, I didn't, um, think I could do the poses. So I, I'm like, I'm not good enough. I would compare myself or I would never show up. So I, of course I could never build resistance or really build at practice. And then it wasn't until I was willing to fail. I was willing to not be perfect. I was willing to be uncomfortable with being a beginner. Then I started to build that, um, uh, content, not content, but that, that skill. And I think that that happens a lot in life. So, um, that's what I'm finding that a lot of the people that are good at what they do is because of their willingness at times to put themselves out there. And sometimes there's an advantage to actually starting off worse mm. because we are naturally good at something. Take anything. It could be, let's say tennis. Mm-hmm. Some of us are just bare natural athletes. Yep. Others like myself are not. So if we go and play tennis, you just might be pretty good at it. And you're mm-hmm. winning a lot of games. You're just playing socially with friends. So you think this is good enough. Someone like me is going to lose a lot of games. Now, at that point, I might say, it's just not for me. Or right. I might quit in frustration. Or I might say, you know what? I want to get better at this. Mm-hmm. And so whereas the natural tennis player might say, this is good enough and I don't have to train yeah. because I would go take lessons, because I drill, because instead of just thinking, well, I swing and hit the ball. Mm-hmm. How do you swing? Where do you want your arm? How do you want to angle the tennis racket? How do you think about this? I'm going to focus on it, understand it. And yes, in the short term, I'm still losing games. But once I develop those skills, I am going to surpass the person who's just naturally good if that person isn't putting forward the effort because they're sufficient that they don't have the motivation to get any better. So being so bad at these skills, I said, you know, I really have to actively work at them and develop them in myself. And that led to not only developing them for me, but understanding really what is it that drives these skills? How do we think about and being able to teach that and help others with them? You know, I, I make the example and it's not my concept. It's something I learned in one of the companies that I worked for, one of the educational companies that I worked for. But when we would explain to parents why a child was struggling in school, we would use the analogy of skills confidence and motivation is like learning to swim and how skills, confidence and motivation go hand in hand. And now I say that to my clients a lot because I see that even the entrepreneurs that are in the cusp of doing something, when they lose motivation, that they are not able to practice the skills of whether it be um, reaching out or going on a sales call or whatever it is that they're working on in their business. And if they don't work on these skills, then they they don't get better at them. And if they don't get better at them, then they're not motivated. If they're not motivated, they're not confident. And if you're not confident, you don't want to learn something that you're failing at. So this goes back to being willing to fail. Um, I was wondering, as you were speaking, you know, again, you talked about um, you're not married now, but you definitely would like to have a family. That's something that you 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 would like. In the meantime, do you see... Things aside from that that you would like to accomplish that maybe professionally you would like to go after? Professionally, I've been asked this a couple times recently, not on podcasts. I'm pretty happy where I am. Mm -hmm. Certainly when you're building tech companies, I haven't had a billion dollar exit yet. Sure, it'd be nice to have one of those to have larger impact. Right. 
the book, you always want to have greater impact. That doesn't necessarily mean selling more books, although that's always nice, Mm -hmm. but just having a larger impact, reaching more people, helping them Mm -hmm. uh, with professional speaking, with getting brought in as you are to companies, to conferences, to organizations, doing more of that. It's been a little muted, I'm sure for you as well this past year. Uh, So I've got some of that going. It's funny, it was it was picking up in the fall, and now I think it's tapering down with mm-hmm. the Delta variant coming out. So more of the same, maybe doing another book uh, with the nonprofits I'm part of, Plant a Million Corals, mm-hmm. having bigger impact there. But I would be, if I don't go further in my professional career, I've been very happy with where I am. It's just a matter of trying to do more mm-hmm. in the same things I've been doing. That's terrific. Are you a traveler? When the world is in <laughs> the world pandemic, is open. <laughs> yes. What's yes, one of the most fascinating places you visited? You know, I'd say fascinating is a is an interesting question. Probably parts of Israel, and particularly, uh, I went into the West Bank to an area called Havron, which is an <laughs> old historical city. I think that was just pretty interesting. I mean, even just, I love history. So walking along the Roman Forum <laughs> or being in the old city in Jerusalem and thinking there are yeah. people. I love Jerusalem. Israel, Israel is probably one of, one of my answers for that question. Um, I've been there several times. The last time, um, I actually, I don't know if, you, if you've heard of the, the, lost, the ancient city of Spot um, where they make candles, um, but it is just mystical it is so beautiful and i remember waking up in this hotel and the city is it's it's an ancient city very similar to jerusalem and just walking the cobblestone streets that you know that have been there for years and then you oversee the beautiful mountains with the with the olive trees it's it's beautiful it really is um so it, it is one of my most favorite places yeah i my my favorite cities so I answered uh, interesting, that's her okay. favorite, tend to be Dublin, Copenhagen, and Bangkok. Although Ooh. Bangkok, part of what I love there, first, I just met the friendliest people there. <laughs> but Bangkok also has this wonderful dichotomy of this ancient city going back a thousand mm. plus years, the old temples. But <laughs> then this modernness to it, sometimes shown by all the traffic and congestion, <laughs> the two of them really just intermingling throughout the city is this really, I think, unique experience that you get in parts of Southeast Asia. Well, I, I need to put Bangkok on the list. Uh, well, it is on the list, but I, I have not been. And um, I've been to Dublin and I've just passed through Copenhagen. That spends a lot of time. Where is the place that you haven't visited yet that you'd like to go? Well, that's, that's a very long list. I have not <laughs> yet been anywhere in Africa. Okay. And love to go see some of the ancient cities and historical sites throughout Africa, mm-hmm. uh, as well as get to Madagascar, because the jungles of Madagascar, I hear, are amazing. Mm-hmm. I actually connected with, um, I'm, 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 I'm going to butcher his name, um, Sean. I can't remember the last name right off the bat, but he is actually going to be a guest on the podcast. And um, um, he is one of the people that has climbed the seven major peaks in the world. And he 
um, did the trip to Kilimanjaro. Now, when I was in my 30s, my girlfriend and I decided that we were going to climb Kilimanjaro and we sort of got sidetracked and then we ended up doing the Camino de Santiago as a pilgrimage. But now, um, last year, well, in 2019, my goal was that I was going to go to Kilimanjaro in, in 2020 and we know where that happened. Um, so it's, uh, I was listening to him and we were talking about it in one of the clubhouse rooms. And then he sent me a message and he said, you know, you can still come with us next year. So I'm sort of like mulling this over and I'm like, well, if I'm going to go to Kilimanjaro, I want to go to Madagascar. I want to go to Zanzibar. And I was starting to formulate all the places that I want to go. The world is this, it, it is, an endless array of wonderful adventures and uh, I can't wait to have them. So thank you for sharing your list. Yeah. Happy to. Yeah. Um, well, for Dublin, have you been there several times? A couple of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I even I opened an office in Dublin at okay. one company years ago and there's just something about Dublin. It's warm and friendly. Mm. Uh, Parts of it, the crime was getting a little bad uh, in certain areas, but just really love the feel of Dublin. Now, to be fair, I've only been there in summer months. Okay. It might be very different when it's just windy and wet and cold in the winter months. So I've been to Dublin in the spring and in the fall, but not uh, in the summer or the winter. But it is a beautiful city. I love it. My husband and I um visited for his birthday right before we got married and we'd really enjoyed and i'd been there a couple times with friends i i highly recommend it um why do you think traveling and how does travel and i I know i'm going in um in different directions but you know you're a person that has so many different experiences um i want to pick your brain on this why do you think traveling and connecting with other cultures um enriches it expands our mental models and our mm-hmm. understanding of the world. Mm. When you look at the people who don't, the classic ugly American who thinks mm-hmm. America, we're number one, mm. we're better than everyone else, things are perfect here. Well, first you're gonna discover actually we're, we're not so perfect. Yeah. There's a lot of countries that are better than us in many ways, in many areas. Mm-hmm. And we can learn from that. It's like saying this person is perfect. It goes back to almost that wedding cape couple. Yeah. Well, they look great, but, you know, they're not always 100% great in all ways. Mm-hmm. And so America, we, we have that image, right? Our PR around the world is still great. America, land of yeah. opportunity, land of freedom. We know all the chaos, those mm-hmm. of us living here and anyone paying attention. Yeah. That's the same thing. So we start to recognize there's other ways to do things from even, I remember going somewhere in Europe and the stove that they had was a triangle in the corner. U.S. stoves are always a square in the middle of the wall. That's brilliant. They had, or I think it was a range top, not a stove. So you might not be able to open the the door. It was a range top. Like, oh, I never would have thought of that. But it's right? so smart because it saves space. Exactly. So different people wow. have different techniques, different mm-hmm. approaches culturally in terms of products, in terms of why they celebrate things and what and, and how. And it even if there's nothing where you say, I want to bring this back with me, it makes you appreciate and even understand yourself better. 
<laughs> and so this is why we try to teach foreign languages in schools, why yeah. we teach people to go overseas. And even if you can't go overseas, reading about it, <laughs> watching it, listening to, to podcasts, you can learn about things even if you can't get there firsthand. And that really does expand your understanding of the world, of your culture and yourself. Yeah, that's such a, you're so aligned with me in that in that sense. I definitely believe that everybody should travel. I know that people tend to be creatures of habit. And for instance, I know a lot of families and friends that tend to, okay, we're going to go to fill in the blank and that's all they do. Um, and they think that traveling is all for, you know, uh, out of their reach, but it really can happen. I've seen the world in very inexpensive ways and, and you can too. Um, I think that you just have to be able to willing, be willing to ask the question, how can I, as opposed to I can't, and be okay with experiencing, you know, you don't have to stay at a big five-star resort, but you can, you know, rent a home or, or different ways of doing so. Um, you mentioned you're not a morning person, Mark, is, uh, um, but tell me, because I know that people who are successful have to have clear in, in good habits. What are some of the habits that make you successful? I probably don't have as good habits as I would like. And I'm actually actively working on changing mm -hmm. some of those habits to get better. But I think the, the big habits, it really stems from my intellectual curiosity and mm -hmm. wanting to learn, wanting to change. It's about reading books regularly Mm -hmm. or listening to podcasts if you prefer audio over, yep. over visual. It's just reading in general, and I'm always reading just different articles during the day. I'll check the news, I'll check some standard sites, mm -hmm. but then I'll just look at other random things, whether it's from a social media feed or just something I kind of randomly came across my mm -hmm. virtual desk. Uh, and so I'm, I'm trying to learn, even talking to different people, mm -hmm. my philosophy is everyone has something interesting about them. Mm. And I figure out what that is. And it's not, I meet someone, maybe you don't know more about cybersecurity than I do, but you might know more about climbing the seven tallest peaks in the world, <laughs> right? There's something interesting about everyone. Even if well, I've never done any of this, you probably grew up in an area of the country that I might not be familiar with. Mm -hmm. Just understanding what that culture is like. This goes back to different cultures. The U.S., we're the size of Europe geographically. Yeah. So when you think about from one side of the country to another, we do have different subcultures. Mm -hmm. Learning that helps you learn about yourself. That's absolutely. And I think that um, the, the concept of being able to reflect um, ourselves and others and vice versa for me is important because I think that um, I'm not always going to have it together. And there's a lot that I might be able to learn about myself by learning from others and, and who they are and what makes them tick. Absolutely. Um, I, I also, you know, as you were speaking about, you know, your curiosity and, and your search and, and, and thirst for knowledge, I remember you mentioned your mom is an early childhood educator. So I bet at an early childhood age, she really created a lot of um, things for you to have that curiosity because I went to school for early childhood. So I am a big proponent of um, children receiving early childhood because I think that it makes them more curious. It makes them more open and makes them, uh, you know, it, it, well, it's, it's documented that you're going to have a more successful reader, obviously, if you start school 
earlier, but um, I don't know. Maybe someone do a study on that. <laughs> they definitely encouraged me and my brother from an early age from learning how to read. And even before we could read, they read to us mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. Like even I remember the elementary school I went to, we lived very close. And if you lived close enough, you could go home over lunch. So for lunch, my brother and I would walk home. (laughs) She would have lunch waiting for us. And as we ate lunch, we would read books. So this Mm. was elementary school. I remember we used to read Pippi Longstocking, Encyclopedia Brown. My mom would read it to us over (laughs) lunch. Over lunch. And that was just so wonderful. But they encouraged reading. We would go to museums. (laughs) We would go to puppet shows. It didn't matter if it was formally educational like a museum or just something fun and different, interesting. And wherever you are, there are always things happening. Local libraries do a Mm -hmm. great job putting up kids, community centers. We would go out and do classes from arts and crafts. My brother and I did tumbling for tots and just trying different things to really get exposed Mm -hmm. to what's out there in the world. You know, I am a big proponent and I on weekends when I we can uh, make the margin into our schedule that I love checking out different things going on, whether it be a different festival or something that is a little bit outside of what I would normally do, because these are the times in which I end up having the most fun just uh, maybe. Uh, listening. So for instance, I think they're, they're reopening um, our music series. And typically when we, when we go to outdoor concerts, we tend to go to the concerts of the type of music that appeals to us. But I think that at times, you know, if you're like, oh, let me go check that out. I don't know what that's about, right? You can figure out if, you know, there's something about it that you can learn or that maybe um, you can learn more about, right? By exposing yourself to that. I remember there's a period of time where I said every week I want to do something new. Mm-hmm. It actually takes a lot more work than you would think. Yes. And so occasionally, once in a while, I could do something lazy, like watch a classic movie that mm-hmm. okay, I've heard of this. Everyone knows this movie. I've never seen it, but couldn't do that too often because that's that's too easy. I would have to go somewhere, do something, try some new food. And I would do things. One of the more interesting, I went to see Marcel Marceau. For those who don't know him, he is a French mime and probably considered the greatest mime (laughs) in the world. I had never seen mime before, aside from the stereotype of maybe you see the street busker mime. I've never seen like a real classic mime performer. I went to see his play. I'm like, I don't think this is what I'm into, but I don't care. (laughs) It's an hour or two of my life. And I went and saw him and it was interesting. I'm yeah. not looking to go see more mimes, but I'm <laughs> glad I did it. And I did a lot of things that weren't necessarily, ooh, this gets me excited, mm-hmm. but it just expanded my horizons. Mm. What was that? Give me another example or something that you did that people don't tend to think of. I remember the tall ships were in town in mm-hmm. Boston. Mm-hmm. So this is many years ago. They had this series of the tall ships, the, the old sailing ships from mm-hmm. about 200 years ago. And they're going from city to city. So they were in Boston, I thought. I'm going to go see them. Mm-hmm. I'm not really into, into sailing <laughs> or ships, but let me go see us and check it out. And okay, that was interesting and different. Oh, that's neat. But you're into history, so I bet that that also appealed to you in, in, in a little bit of a sense. It, it did. Yeah, Boston is a good city to be in uh, when you're a fan of history. Um, now, did you grow up in the Boston area? 
I grew up mostly in New York and Chicago. I was just in Boston for college and grad (laughs) school and most of my 20s. What part of New York and Chicago? Uh, From Westchester. Okay. And then North Shore of Chicago. Yeah. So I actually worked um, in New Rochelle at one point. Well, well, technically that, that line, New Rochelle, Eastchester area. You know where the Lord and Taylors used to be, and they used to work yep. across the street. Um, the company, the educational company, had a company center there, um, and I was the center director. That's where I started my career with them, um, and then I moved throughout Westchester. And yeah, it's a fun area. I have family that lived in New Rochelle at one point, so um, I miss totally I miss New York. Area. It's only a big area for parents who want to get extra education for their kids. It is a big area. We, we, you know, we had the array of people because East Chester uh, and then you have New Rochelle, New Rochelle being a city. And then even we had a lot of parents from the Bronx bring their kids, but also you have parents coming in from Scarsdale and it was a a fun environment because the families, uh, you know, ran the gamut. Yeah. Um. One last question for you, and, and I love to to learn a little bit. Well, actually, I'm going to ask you two questions because I decided, um, and because you talk about interviewing skills, I, I thought about uh, one of my interview questions that people used to think it was nuts for me to ask in an interview. So I will ask that first, and then I'll ask you my other question. Um, but if you were to be a cartoon character, who would you be and Why? That's a good question. As I'm thinking across all the cartoons from now through my childhood, <laughs> I'd probably go with a superhero type character. I'd probably <laughs> go with a classic comic book, Batman or Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Part of me wants to say Archer. Okay. If, if anyone knows uh, the cartoon Archer, he is... A guy who is an incredible screw up that just always pulls it off. He is he's self-centered and obnoxious. And in that sense, I don't relate to him. But he's got the life that he goes through where he's rich, he's drinking, he's everything <laughs> just works out for him. So it seems like it would be a fun life if you take morality out of it. But go, otherwise, probably Spider-Man or Batman uh, who work to make the world a better place. <laughs> There you go. I love that answer. You know, for me uh, in my corporate career, I always found that asking that question gave me an interesting glimpse into the person um, because they had to think on their feet. Um, And I wanted to be able to see how and if they can do it. And then, of course, the answers were very fascinating. Um, And I had one guy who refused to give me an answer. He's like, this is ridiculous. And I thought, Okay, this is very telling. So, um, (laughs) now the last question I will ask you is um, in looking back at your life um, many, many years from now, what would you like your legacy to be for others? Having a wonderful family, having a great career, helping to change the lives of others, and then having a positive impact on the world. Mark, you are already doing a lot of that. So thank you so much for the impact that you're putting in, out into the universe. I am looking forward to really reading your book. I think people need to go out and get it, the Career Toolkit. Tell the listeners how they can connect with you. 
you can go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. There you can get in touch with me, follow me on social media. If you go to the app page, it links out to both the Android and iPhone stores where you can download the free app. You can go to the resources page, and there there's a whole bunch of free downloads, links to other online resources, as well as a number of other books I reference in my own and elsewhere. And of course, if you want to get the book, if you click the buy button, it will show you all the places you can go from Amazon to local bookstores. All of this can be found on the website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. That's terrific. Well, thank you so much for visiting Casa de Confidence. I know that I don't have to say this to you, but go out and go confidently in the direction of your dreams. And again, thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us this week on the Casa de Confidence podcast with Julie DeLuca Collins. Remember to check her out on Instagram and Facebook and always click subscribe to catch every new episode. Remember, leave a review so we can continue to bring you fresh content. And as always, go confidently in the direction of your dreams. Hi, everybody. I know that sometimes we get very lonely in this entrepreneur journey, and I want to invite you to join us into our limited time only purposeful you mastermind. For many of us entrepreneurs, we believe that we can do it all, but the reality is that doing it alone only creates a lot of overwhelm. So join us at the purposeful you mastermind. You can find out more information by going to bit.ly forward slash Julie's Mastermind. This is going to be the place where you are able to then unlock your full potential and achieve long-term success for your business, push you behind your current limits, expand your connections discover new ideas, and implement them with confidence. You're going to get the support in all aspects and transforming you to the six-figure business you've been looking for. Pause and get off the hamster wheel if you've been spinning around. This is a time where you can get that support from like-minded entrepreneurs that are here to join you in your journey. Together, we can challenge the assumptions and land the speaking engagements and opportunities we want to grow our business and make an impact in the lives of people. See you then. Remember, you can find the mastermind at bit.ly, Julie's Mastermind.